Hi, this is Ross Payton with Role Playing Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 116, LARPing Quietly in Your Head. And with me, not as always, is Caleb, because Tom is on a quest for vengeance or justice or something like that. Okay. Yeah, no, he's he's not here, is what I'm saying. <laughs> he is gallivanting about, uh, possibly fighting crime. I don't know, and so I will assume that he is. I'm, I'm here pretty often. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we could say... You're, you're like yeah. here as more. he usually is seventy five percent of the time. Yeah, or I know it, the percentage <laughs> is increasing. So with me, half of the time is Caleb. All right, I'll take it. Yeah, all right. So uh, in this episode, uh, it is uh, I what I I was actually out of town too. I was on a trip to visit family uh, in Washington D.C. and it gave me ideas for running games. As uh, going to some place new is want to do, and uh, so this is about uh, taking the idea of spaces you've been to or interested in and incorporating them into games. So uh, Caleb's done this in several of his games frequently, yeah. frequently, yes. And, uh, I, I do it as well. So, uh, but it'll, it's kind of like research, but you just like go to a place and think about it. So you're just, you know, uh, designing games in your head. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first off though, we have some news, um, on RPPR Actual Play, we now have a fan creation page where the best of our fan creations uh, have been posted. These are the winners of the fan creation contest and the No Evil uh, fan creation contest uh, from a couple they of years ago. They are all very good and entertaining. Thank yes. Uh, stories, uh, art, uh, video. Uh, there's a flash animation, too. Uh, and there, I will add more. Uh, if there's something that I have missed that you feel deserves to be immortalized there uh, or mirrored there, please let me know and I will update the page accordingly. Uh, so I, I think one of my favorites is the RPPR and other childish things uh, story where we each get our own monster based on games that we've run or played in. Like <laughs> uh, Mine was, of course, Cool Rat, which I have no idea why that is the number one like every like everyone who read my stuff that's the thing that they remember more than anything cool rat will be on your grave it will he probably will (laughs) all right um and for you of course it was um yeah i'm the very creepy kid apparently (laughs) i would have thought the marionette from uh no you've been wrong yeah that was um of course tom uh had grunwald and so on and so forth uh and of course there's there's a lot of stuff there, so go check it out. Um, also, I've uploaded the handouts for Boiling Point, so if you want to print those out separately. Although, if you get e- either version, you should have the PDF of it, so you should be able to just print them from the PDF, but, you know, if you just... I don't know. I, it's more convenient, so uh, more power to you. Um, and uh, let's see. Well, also, you have some news about Red Markets. Uh, yeah, so I'm still working on the gm chapter i'm part way through typing that uh that should be ready for gen con so i can give people copies hopefully of the beta play test but if you want to play test it with your own group um there is a uh thread on the forums called red markets Playtest, uh mm-hmm. and just let me know and i will send you one if uh, you want to and- parse a eighty thousand word word document yeah uh, but if you do, thanks. <laughs> that would be swell. That would be. Uh, and I will link to that in our show notes, so you can you don't have to go search the forums uh, entirely. Um, so that's it for news. Uh, we're still, of course, running games, and we will, next month will be Gen Con uh, coming up. So we have many panels and games and 
podcast. Should we talk jamborees. about our panels? Uh, yes, uh, we should. We could. Uh, uh, let's see here. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, well, we have one every day. Yeah. Uh, one at eleven and one at one. Yeah. Um, so there's everyday hustling mm-hmm. in the RPG industry. That'll be with some of the guys from Posthuman Studios. There's uh, the GDW Live episode. Yeah. Um, there is uh, Beyond Lawful Good and Evil, yeah. uh, ethical concepts in games, um, education in games That's with right. how and in. Uh, and so we've kind of touched on that on the podcast before, but yeah, uh, we'll be going more in depth there. Uh, if Dan's there, I might have him step in because he's been using. Oh yeah, no, some he'd be stuff good for that. In uh, thing in therapeutic models. Um, what else? Uh, the case against fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, arguing, uh, arguing against using the word fun in game design, and um, uh, weird fiction. So scary parrots. So how to have scary parrot moments <laughs> in your own games? Uh, there is one panel that I, I that the drunk and ugly are doing that I, I will try to make if I have time, and that's on online gaming, running online games and playing them. So they've been doing that a lot because of the Patreon. Uh, so I don't. I hopefully I'll have time to get there, uh, and of course. Uh, there will be RPPR meetups. Uh, we'll have a big one on Thursday night. Uh, I will be a little late there. I'm, there's a podcast uh, thing that I have to do at six. Uh, but uh, we will. I will also set up uh, two group me's. Uh, one for announcements for like coordinating events, and then one for general chat. So that if you just need so uh, get the app. Uh, and get the one with the coordinating and events thing, so you can, you don't the chat thing. I'm sure will be filled up with ah, I died in a Cthulhu game and you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so there will be two threads, so you don't your phone phone doesn't need to blow up the entire time uh, as it did last year. With, oh my god, <laughs> group me is very useful, but <laughs> yes, uh, that's why I'm splitting it up into announcements <laughs> and then everything else. Very wise. Um, so we will. What I think we'll do is we'll every time. One of us has free time, you know, uh, something around like a play test of Red Markets or Ruin or something like yes. that. Uh, we will s- put an announcement up and, you know, probably go to the open gaming area and just, you know, run from there or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but, yeah, aside from that, of course, we have meetings with uh, other game designers. Scott Glancy's game uh, at some point. Uh, so we'll be very busy at Gen Con. But we will do our best to make sure we can all meet all, all the listeners who are there and want to meet us. I don't know. So uh, if you're that, uh, you know, maybe we're, we are radio people. So. <laughs> yes. Um, but of course, Tom will be there. Aaron will be there. Uh, Dan will be there. Quite a few people are going to be there. Yeah. Um, so the whole crew is coming. Woo. Um, so that'll be awesome. Uh, well, not everybody. I mean, Jason can't make it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah, of uh, work. Um, and not Bill, but, you know, obviously. Because uh, of work. <laughs> Weird how that keeps coming up. Uh, but anyway, so that's we'll, we'll do some more. I'll have a, a page or a post on the Facebook group and on the forums with the official list of the exact times and the places where every event is and what the links to join the two group me's and uh that kind of stuff so sweet uh, yeah uh i will be organized i'm just putting it off until the last possible like week or two yeah which is our which is our tradition really no our tradition is never doing it at all <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> uh so we're, we're we're breaking tradition a little bit um so anyways uh that remains to be seen <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing to... healthy skepticism here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, spaces and games. Um, you know, it's one thing to uh come up with a totally fan- fantastical environment uh and we've talked about that before but like it's often um i think the best example we could talk about is actually lovers in the ice which you brought up bef- while we were talking about this before we started recording which is you know the visceral reaction we had to the hoarder's house and then the creepy porn house uh in that scenario and those were not made up and the reason i mean part of the reason why it was we, our reactions were so visceral was because you you were drawing this from real life, right? Yes. So uh, this kind of came to me. I've gotten a couple of messages over Facebook from fans being just like, what's wrong with you? Do you read nothing but Jack Ketchum and Daniel Woodrell novels and just like, you know, think only in rural sadness and weirdness? And I'm like, no, I live in Missouri and I'm poor, so I never travel anywhere. So a lot of my spaces that I pull from games when... I yeah. need something that I know is going to hit a certain beat or when I just need to come up with something on the fly uh, comes from, you know, my own personal space. So, like, most of my family members have had some form of hoarding of one another. So when I have to describe a, you know, house that has been destroyed by squirreling objects away in it, no. uh, I can do that pretty easily from memory. And then the porn house was a guy I knew in college. Yeah. It was a very short acquaintance. <laughs> yeah. Because... No uh, terrifying but uh yeah i mean that's just it's just missouri man it's just effed up rural folk uh so like i can pull from that um and make something more visceral than like you're in a house on house street yeah with npc in it shake them until plot falls out so uh yeah no and like when the creepy porn house gave me a visceral reaction too because uh i triggered my own memory of finding a, a, a creepy porn being going into somebody's house to play D and it was a creepy like wallpapered with porn pinups and stuff like that and, yeah uh smelling just so badly of cigarettes because they all smoked apparently it. it's a thing it is a thing it's ter- like and that's as deeply as i want to exist <laughs> um so I mean that's the idea we're talking about, is like drawing drawing from spaces that uh, you you have personal knowledge of, um, and you know the thing is uh, it's not limited to that. Obviously, you can do spaces that you're interested in, you or you just looked at images, uh, or uh, maybe not like super personal experience. You've just been there once. Like uh, when I was in DC, I uh, w- had some time to go to, to some of the museums, as there are many there. And one of them was the Freer Gallery of Gallery of Art, which is part of the Smithsonian. Uh, it's right next to the Smithsonian Castle, and it is um, a art museum with historical objects and Whistler's paintings. And uh, the thing is, for me though, as a huge nerd, uh, it's also the model for the Diamond Heist from Payday Two. And it was interesting for me to see from an architectural and game design point of view what they used and what they didn't use. Because while it's modeled on the Freer Gallery, the, the Diamond Heist is very different. Uh, it's a lot larger and they have it has like more nooks and uh, crannies and places to hide. Because that's a part of the video game is that you're playing a criminal who's trying to steal stuff in the museum without getting caught. So uh, the actual Freer Gallery is kind of a – I wouldn't say like – small but it's not a huge building you know and so uh they added a lot to it uh in order to give players the space they would need to do the game so that, i mean that's the other thing about um 
using spaces from real life is that you you have to remember this is all in service to a game you know you can't get too literal or too simulationist in order to like well this is the house i've been to it has to be exactly like that well if it makes a shitty game then it doesn't really yeah. help um so i mean like for you what is what do you change when you're like looking at a space what what, what makes it more gameable what what would you change you know like for them for in the video game, it was the 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 actual space. They added more corridors. They made it bigger, basically, in order to for the players to have more room to maneuver. Because that's what Payday is about. A lot is you know maneuvering around whether you're shooting cops or avoiding security guards. Uh, but for a tabletop game, that's obviously different. So yeah. like, well, I think we have two different approaches. I mean, because I don't get to go very many places. Yeah. Uh, but now that I I do play games now. Uh, you know, that's where the title comes from, quietly LARPing in my head. <laughs> uh, you know, you're imagining it as a game space as you're there, and you can kind of do it proactively. See, I very, I very seldom get caught up in the, um, oh, no, that was there. Yeah. This closet was bigger aesthetic yeah. uh, because uh, I, I'm usually operating off of memories of places I've been before, yeah. you know, in college and as a child and things like that. So, you know, it's all kind of vague and recollective. But as a result of that, you're usually just picking out the most salient, uh, evocative points of that place. Right. Uh, so I, I use a lot of stuff like that. So the first time we ran Revelations, you were just in my hometown. Yeah. Uh, what I just described where stuff was. <laughs> Uh, I did it differently in the published version, but the first time we play tested it, you were just running around my hometown. So if you asked what was here and what was there, it's because I had been there and knew where everything was at. So many different ways and directions mm-hmm. I could kind of navigate a mind map of myself through that kind of space. Um, yeah. So that those are different functions. Like that's different than why you used uh, like for. Lovers in the Ice, you you chose those for their thematic elements. Like, yes. you know, is the atmosphere like this is a fucking creepy place, and that's appropriate for a horror game. But for Revelations, you used it as basically a placeholder. Like you 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 already knew that space, and it wasn't like particularly relevant to the game concept. It, yeah, it could have been anywhere, but it was just you knew that place well enough that like the players could you could use it as a sandbox. Uh, which is important because, like, you know, if you don't know a space very well in your head, then, like, if the players do something unexpected, you have to start, like, drawing a map as the game goes yeah. on, which is kind of a pain in the ass. And the players can see through that shit and be like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, video game players, they see a glitch. Oh, here's where the level geometry is weak. Let's find, keep, the, yeah, find let, the invisible lines, yeah, yeah. fall through the floor. That yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, no, so that's very true. Like you can pull for thematic elements, and I've done that before. You can also pull for like default. So mm-hmm. whenever you guys walk into a CD bar, I imagine Tailgaters, which is a bar used to be in Springfield uh, that was made entirely of particle board, <laughs> and is the only time I've ever had the crap kicked out of me for not being gay. Wow! Because uh, a lady came up and asked us, "Are y'all?" They used the yeah. F word. Yeah, uh, and I'm like. No, because yeah. we were just drinking. Because we were going to be college kids and slum it. Yeah. And then she's like, "Then why ain't you asked me to dance?" And my friend who thought he was cute was like, "Cause you're fat and <laughs> ugly and smoking a cigarette." And then her pimp came over, and we had a fun night then. Uh, and that's like, so when I think of CD Bar, like. Yeah. I go there because that's burned in my memory. Karaoke, <laughs> spit on the floor, particle board, walls. Jesus. Uh, it smells like sawdust and 
misery soaks up the blood more. yeah like yeah, yeah it's just yeah so like when you walk into a cd bar i'm always imagining that bar. regardless of where or when it is like, yeah it could be just like adam Tokyo. scott glancy is imagining the clown strip joint <laughs> if you want to find like you just think of the seediest grossest place you've ever been yeah and then you just have like a default geometry in your head for describing where stuff is yeah at, and having like colorful npcs that kind of evokes although like i mean with, with glancy you can only do that once like per campaign <laughs> yeah like, not every well <laughs> if every single strip joint has you're clowns in carcosa in already <laughs> yeah You've exactly. already lost. <laughs> yeah. That's an entirely <laughs> different game. Like, that's unknown armies very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so, true. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, like, the abandoned building in Andrew's Fortune was kind of a mashup of uh, an abandoned building in a town where my grandma used to live mm-hmm. and uh, the abandoned building described in the novel I was basing that off of. Yeah. Because uh, I, I kind of needed to imagine that. Um, and then there was the. Uh, we've done a lot of red market stuff. So red markets is the first game I've really done a lot of like quietly LARPing in my head stuff where since it is very much a dungeon crawl set in the real world. So yeah, uh, yeah. I pulled blueprints of certain locations and we use that. So I pulled a, a, there's a standardized nursing home blueprint that most nursing homes in the country made after 1990 use uh, that has like a centralized nursing stations and wings that spread out. Uh, so that you can get like a lot of view lines on the residents and things like that. Uh, so that's exactly the one my grandma stayed in before she died. And so we needed a nursing home, and I just pulled that blueprint. Right. Or uh, when you raided the mega church in one of the first playtests of Red Market, I just pulled the James River Assembly because it's this monolith of concrete <laughs> and gigantic ceilings and girders until you get to the back area where you're not funneling in the 5,000-plus parishioners and then it's basically just like a convention center with like shitty drywall that you could just pound through. So you have like this labyrinthian maze in back with like paper thin walls and this, you know, this coliseum with this whole, you know, rat tunnel network of behind the scenes stuff behind it. And it's just an interesting space yeah. to, to mess around in. So now one thing um, that's kind of interesting because you're also like taking these buildings, but you're, you're re purposing them basically yes. uh, yeah uh because they're basically now you know zombie zombie layers i mean zombie uh, uh so um well, that, yeah. That, are you like yeah. the Freer Galaxy? You're imagining a heist in it, yeah. Or you're imagining, but that's but those are all still very connected to the original purpose, like why the building was designed. It's just you're you're going for it. Uh, one other use, I think, would be take a building, but then make it in a t- different type of building. You know, like take the design of a mega church and use it as a different type of building, uh, like as a science lab. Like remove the pews and turn it into like a giant. Uh, you know, put a giant machine in it or something like that to make it like the stereotypical mad scientist. Layer. And yeah, so we've yeah. done that with like enclave spaces yeah. in red markets. So like, uh, yours is just uh, storage containers kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, and you know, it's like Ready Player One stacking them into apartment pocket. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, Eden Seed, the hippie one. I based that off the sewage plant in my hometown. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Because we got we got hit by a massive tornado. And long story short, it's the only way I paid for college is cleaning up after it. But there would be these burn piles, and it lasted for li- easily months. This like three story tall, just burning pyre, acres of dead trees yeah. that you would bring to this sewage treatment plant that had like this small sewage treatment plant off the side. 
but then it was just largely an enclosed fenced-in space for like you know airing out groundwater and and you know future expansions of the sewer plant and stuff and it just turned into a massive burning field so i just turned that like big open space that would be enclosed in despite not using 90 percent of the space yeah yeah and so i just turned it into farms and stuff nice so yeah you you know you just gotta but yeah i'm a little different in that uh i'm very limited because i don't go anywhere uh so like it's very rare for me to go into spaces that I have not been in before, sadly, right. because I don't get to travel very much. Right. Uh, when I do, like, when I'm thinking about, you know, when I go other places, I am constantly thinking about, like, how could I set a game here? Things of that nature. But, right. you know, I go to Gen Con, you guys go to Gen Con too. It's probably not very interesting just well, to pull out the Gen Con hotel map. Well, I mean, um, well, Gen Con is actually, downtown Indy is a very interesting space. Like, yes. It's like, you have, I think it actually is, has more... The convention center has more hotels connected to it by via Skywalk than any other convention center in the country. Yeah, and it's so. got massive subterranean electrical yeah. electrical conduits that sometimes explode. Yeah, as we <laughs> oh yeah, know. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah no like there's you know there's lots of stuff but I just I just haven't used that because like yeah. you guys are there too. Yeah, uh, but uh, I know for you it's very much about like traveling or like well, finding other spaces online right well that's the other thing you like you don't need to travel per se mm. like i mean um one of the patreon games that i ran recently uh was set in suba reef subi reef i don't know um it which is a place in the south china sea uh that basically the geopolitical situation is kind of fucked basically china vietnam the Phil- all these con- Phil- the philippines all these countries are claiming this area uh, as their territory, because there's like vast natural resources under it, fisheries and natural gas and all this shit. And China's strategy is to basically build artificial islands, claim it's Chinese territory, and hope someone attacks them because then they can unleash the the might of the Chinese military on them. Uh, well, maybe not hope, but like that's their basically if they build up and they 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 hope that nobody else will be able to claim it. Yeah. Um, and there are photos, uh, detailed photos of these. You know, all the, the there are actually forums where people monitor this and talk about this. There's a lot of nerds out there who are obsessed about geopolitics and military strategy rather than you know Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So you can use those resources. So like for Super Reef, I basically ran a survival horror game where the players are basic is like the, the sort of the Bermuda Triangle Sark out. So see, only it's an artificial island instead of a ship. Basically, the storm comes to them and they get sucked into this vortex, and their island is still there. But like they like what the fuck is going going on and so for that i just had a photo i had photos of this place and some descriptions of basically they weren't official descriptions they were uh people that were like oh that's a radar dish oh well, that's a landing oh they got machine guns there they you know like just yeah. the, the otaku base the military otaku basically you know th- writing fan fiction about <laughs> these yeah. photos and that worked i mean the players like i could just send them links to the photos like this is where you're on this is what you're on mm-hmm. uh and that worked for a game now of course that was you know it's a very small island and like but the players had a good time with it and i'll post a link to the uh, the patreon game you can download it it's a free download thanks to patreon backers um so there are resources um for um if you if you it, but for me the challenge was like how do I turn this into a gameable space because um, I had to figure out the interior of it I had to uh, figure out what resources were on the island and um, 
you know, what would it be like underneath it because it was built on pylons and like, you know, uh, so I had to sort of guess at a lot of the architectural and engineering details. Um, but, and also, you know, changing instead of like a ship, it's an island that they're, you know, stranded on. Uh, it, they, they can't just row it away. It's immobile. So they have to find a boat to actually get off. And, um, I don't. It kind of worked. It worked. I thought it worked, but like yeah. I, I just had to spend time researching it, and so I think that can work. Yeah, for me, research has to be of a specific type before I can feel comfortable describing a place. Yeah, and it's not because I feel like it needs to be accurate in any way, shape, or form. Because I don't. Yeah. It just needs to be, you know, fun at the table or some yeah. type of fun for people at the table. Uh, but I do feel like I need to ha- know enough to be like evocative and make it seem like a cool place to be. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so like. Uh, for instance, the prequel to Lover in the Ice, the, it takes place in the uh, Amazon, the Trans-Amazonia yeah. Project uh, in 1970s after the Brazilian military coup. Um, and I got, uh, like, uh, <laughs> one of our Brazilian listeners gave me, you know, a lot of credit for doing all, like, my intensive research when I really didn't. But <laughs> in grad school, uh, my job was to transcribe the longhand legal pad uh, drafts of James Whitehead's uh, entire back catalog after he died. He published one critically acclaimed novel, Joiner. It is very good. I liked it a lot. Um, but then succumbed to alcoholism and would write something like 186 drafts of the next novel. And that was my entire grad school experience was being a slave to this man <laughs> who transcribed it. And one of the things I got assigned to transcribe is that uh, James Whitehead, for a while there, fashioned himself as the next Hunter S. Thompson. And he sold, he pre-sold uh, an article to We Magazine, the men's magazine, uh, about Altamira, which is going to this wild, lawless border town. Uh, and, you know seeing how wild and lawless it was and getting up to antics like Hunter S. Thompson. Right. But he was like four months late because he drank away most of the (laughs) money. And then when he did get down there and spend even more money, like it had kind of died down and the Brazilian military would be like, stop it or we'll shoot you. You're in the jungle. No one can stop us. And so they're like, okay, we'll calm down. So it's like just a quiet work camp as people get ready to go to work the next day. Uh, and so he didn't turn the article in for three years. Wow. Because he thought there was a novel in it. Yeah. Uh, and so he wrote 43 drafts <laughs> of this anything from two to 186 page document. And I had to read and transcribe every one. So by the end of it, I felt as if I lived there. Yeah. And I, I, I built that road with my own two hands. <laughs> and I was James Whitehead and every other character. And I lost my ego and became one with the world. Uh, so, like, it was very easy for me to describe that because, you know, I'd, I'd lived through that in fiction. Right. But, like, that's my problem. I need, to, I need something that could, like, really put me in the space. So, like... The Golgotha account, which we will never yeah. run. The which in, we described. Yeah. yeah, the NBA game I, I'd like to run. Um, I was thinking of ways to describe it. Like I read about Verosha in The World Without Us as research for red markets. And I read all the Wikipedia stuff, like they say, and the Knights Black Agent stuff. But I still didn't feel like comfortable. But then I'd read The City in the City, and I read an interview with China Mayova where he said he kind of based his sci-fi city where like the two cities are superimposed on each other, mm-hmm. and you just have to think 
to go to the yeah. next one, uh, but it's a crime. He based it off um, Turkish Cyprus, Nicosia. And it's like, yeah, there's this extremely porous, almost non-existent border through these furious nations that still hate each other. Right, right. That you have to kind of like just pretend isn't there and pretend that you can't go across. Uh, and like, yeah, okay, so so that, that gave me the first one. And I'm like, well, I've got Vice... You know, it's not going to be a thorough or mini-sided, you know, place. But, like, if I need, like, something gross, we'll go to that town in Siberia where they're doing crocodile. Or, like, yeah, yeah. like... And so, yeah, I can describe it enough to, like, get evocative details out of it and set a game there. Right. So I, I usually need somebody on the ground of some sign, like, writing detailed reports or, like... So you would have needed... Man on the like, street. If, if you wanted to do a game set in Super Reef, you would have had to have, like... Uh, some a camera crew go there, or like at least somebody like here's my experience working on this artificial. Yeah, that, and that's for me, and like, yeah. and that's why I can't do historical games very much, just because like, yeah, the place doesn't really come alive for me to the point where I feel like. Uh, and and at no, that, that's it, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah at that point, with the Colossus Archipelago, with yeah. my Dungeon World game, since it's all about like ease of use, and because yeah. uh, I think when you talk about repurposing spaces, you have to do it for all fantasy games. You have to repurpose existing spaces and make them fantastical somehow. Uh, I, I, for that, I just wanted to make it as easy as possible. So I literally made it a dead body. Yeah, and you could just point to any place on your body and imagine it as a continent wide and try to get an idea of like what would be there right right like, uh so so yeah um i mean it, it it is a challenge uh to like with very little material try and come up with the space uh certainly i mean for one thing with the Cy- cypress thing do you think like from watching that uh, so you did read up on it a little bit or did you oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I did quite a bit so do you feel research. like you could have run a game set there yes yeah, okay. yeah. so uh, but I, I, it's because I read a novel, yeah, sort of based in that aesthetic, okay, uh, and that that milieu of the place, even right, though right. it was somewhat fantastical, right, that really gave me you know something to latch onto, right. Well, I mean, I think there there are other uses for repurposing spaces too, um, like. Uh, for me, one of the other resources available, like for the Freer Gallery of Art, I'd, I'd actually taken a tour of it before I visited in real life because Google Earth actually has like virtual tours of like famous buildings yeah. now. So you could actually easily go through there and like see what it looked like and see what the space was like uh, to see it. But sometimes that, of course, the real life stuff does uh, help out because like in the Freer Gallery of Art, when I was there in real life, I could actually see like how many guards were there and like how how act how alert they were there's actually a security system there that i saw mm-hmm. being used i'm like oh i could use that for the game uh larping in your head exactly larping in your head um but one thing that i do uh, is sometimes think, take a space that i find interesting and sort of entirely like move it to somewhere else or some other time or in another genre like uh if the, just the idea of it is evocative enough uh i will do that like for example um, in the uh, Iron Heroes campaign, the Fortunes of War, the finale, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I still love in the last session. All right, there's three places the cult could be holed up in: this place, this place, or there's. It's like a cave, but it's so big. There's an ecosystem to it. And be like, oh, it's that one because he described it more than the others. Like, you son of a bitch. You're right, but yeah. Uh, but th- there is a place in Vietnam where there is a cave large enough that like you can fly through. Like if yeah. you had a wingsuit or something like that, and like there's trees growing in it you know and it's like this amazing amazingly fantastical place so like i didn't 
I just had the idea of it. I didn't like even try and figure out its ge- its geography or its layout because you know uh, it's just a big tunnel that's super big, you know, and like there's trees and shit. And so like I just took the idea of it and uh, used it. And I think it worked in the Fortunes of War. Uh, yeah, uh, I think Fortunes of War and games like Feng Shui, yeah. uh, another great place to use space and quietly LARP in your head is kind of think like a fight choreographer. Yeah. Because let's face it, many RPGs are based around and entirely focused on <laughs> the violence part of the game. Right. And so if you can think of like props and things like that, so Iron Heroes with its stunt mechanics and feng shui, anything we're going to use the environment, I think it's very good to think about. Yeah. You know, the space. So I really like the uh, attack on the caravan. Yeah, uh, you know where we were atop the caravan. The horses were riding around us, and the the battle was like fighting the guys off on the caravan right. and stuff. So very much like using space and movement and, right. and things of that nature. Of course, I was more inspired by like you know Western films. Uh, yeah, obviously. yeah. yeah. Uh, Circle our, of the Wagons, I was inspired yeah. by like the latest Star Trek and No Evil when you're having fights on top of yeah. Venetian aerostats and stuff like that. You yeah. Know? Don't fall, uh, th- that kind of stuff. So, uh, thinking like a fight, and then, but yeah, it just could be anything. I mean, you look at some of the famous Hong Kong yeah. uh, actions, like Once Upon a Time, the ladder scene is just classic, right? And it's literally just a room that has a shit ton of ladders in it, yeah, and a confined vertical space where you bounce around them, <laughs> like, and that's like really cool, yeah. Uh, but that's that's just it. It's just props. So uh, that's another good way to. think There about actually space. have been some Hong Kong action films that have been shot in like Kowloon Walt City, uh, which I really need to see. Uh, like Jackie Chan <laughs> shot a film like right before they tore it down, so like oh. it, it was empty. Like uh, I forgot what it's called. And then there's like one shot in the 80s that had a shootout in there. And actually, Bloodsport was partially shot in Kyle Loonwald City. I did not know that. Like the corridor where Jean-Claude is walking to the Kumite. Like that's Ah. in Kyle Loon. uh, They would hold. Yeah. The Kumite and Kowloon. Well, actually, if you read the book, by the 80s, it was pretty much like a worker. Like, they just, it was pretty calmed down by then. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> Tell me when you're done. I'm sorry. I read a whole book about it. It is a very interesting history. <laughs> um, so, uh, actually, you know, what we could do is sort of an exercise uh, in using spaces for a game. So, like, come up with the different ideas for, like, I've, and I'm sure you've read the same thing. Um, there is a town in Alaska, for example, that that is i think it's called whittier uh it is basically the only way you can get to it through land is through a single tunnel uh that is like one car wide and so like during the day cars go in and during the night cars go out yeah and everyone in that town lives in the same building there's like 200 people (laughs) there and they all live in the same apartment have you heard of this have you yeah uh i think this american life did a thing about it once yeah yeah so the schools in the building yeah so is the church and so is the the playground so is the playground yeah Uh, And it's very cool. Everyone obviously knows each other. Um, And that's a very cool setting for any number of types of games. Obviously, for me, the first thing that comes up is horror. You know, you could do very easily 30 days a night kind of thing. But that's kind of that's low hanging fruit. Um, I mean, what when if you were to set a game there, like one, how much prep work would you do for that? Uh, And two, like what what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, The prep work I would do is I would want to know where everything was laid out in the massive building where everyone lived. Okay. So, so I'd like want to know like the districts and like the floor. Cause you're plan. basically living on a space station and I want to know. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. You're basically living on a space station when you're that isolated. Yeah. yeah. And if you have to be self-sufficient, like where is everything? Especially yeah. if you're going to do a horror game. Cause like if they're going to cut the generators, where are you going to go to go fix them? Yeah. If they're going to 
steal the food, where are you going to go to get the food? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so I would do that much research. Uh, I think the tunnel is research enough. Uh, I would probably do some like cover my w- ass research about why you can't climb out and why you can't swim out and why you can't do other things because people are going to be like, there's one tunnel you can go through. Go through that tunnel. No! No, I won't go through the plot. <laughs> Screw you. Why does it have to be in Alaska? Why do we have to play an RPG? Why are games even a thing? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry that triggered you. Uh- <laughs> I, w- I will never forget the playtest note I got for No Soul Left Behind. It's like, why do we have to be supervillains? I'm just like, because it's the fucking premise of the book. <laughs> It's the fu- why does it have to be in English? That's the language I speak. It's got to be that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I would probably do some CYA kind okay. of research to be like, that's why you can't do that. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's that, but then at the same time, you know, there could be mines or some other way out. Yeah. Well, there uh, is an airstrip too. I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, there they actually have a seaplane dock. Uh, okay. uh, so like yeah. you could have a seaplane there, of course. Then that's a chase to the seaplane. But but yeah, off. if you're doing horror, yeah. like uh, well, you I mean, what to, else, what, horror is about isolation. So. Right. It very, I got it, half your work done. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what other do any other genre or type of games come up? I mean, like the, this. That, like I said, that's a low hanging fruit. That's like the obvious. Like yeah, no shit. It could be survival horror. Uh, but what uh, else? urban fantasy? Oh really? So like that's. That's Shangri La. That's the Utopia. Oh, that's, okay, okay. That's where you know everything is nice. Keep everyone and else out. Of the world. Yeah, yeah. But there's some horrible price to live there, yeah. or or something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. The the tunnel's not a tunnel to the town. Yeah. The tunnel's you know there's to the two ways world. to the tunnel. So you can move it. You could just take that that layout and move it somewhere else. Yeah. Like, uh, that's a really cool. Yeah, idea. you move in this long pitch black tunnel yeah yeah and if you're it's a like spirit and if way, you're a yeah. mundy you arrive at this shitty <laughs> fish gut smelling yeah, yeah alaskan berg and if you are one of the chosen one you yeah. end up you know in the magic kingdom of right some right kind. uh actually the first thing i think of aside from horror or you know so the second thing really uh <laughs> let's not count uh that's mulligan valley john yeah. galt lives there <laughs> oh yeah it's where you go to <laughs> reach your libertarian utopia. We'll, we'll cover this in the uh, after hours but uh <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna record after hours soon and that will be about we saw atlas shark part three and um also we've been playing arkham knight fucking batmobile bullshit. so yeah that's what i do i would do urban fantasy yeah that's where you go to meet the avatar of uh uh Rand paul or something fiddler's I, green yeah. yeah uh that's and it's a libertarian paradise where like there's ice sculptures and you don't know where they came from <laughs> and there's food that's perfectly made yeah. you, nobody has to serve it and it's all kind of stuff everyone's but, trying to vote not to be the morlock to do otherwise yeah and and then you find out that like it's because all of the servants and underclasses have literally been made invisible and intangible with oh, exception of doing their oh, work wait a minute, what, so it's yeah. just invisible crop hands that are being horribly tortured and exploited and you don't have to see the pores that's why right. it's all wonderful and oh, utopia wow. so that's my unknown armies of that you know what if instead there is sort of a lot lottery aspect to it uh, where a uh, wicker man aspect to it to where everyone goes in only one person one person has to do all the work the one person <laughs> oh yeah but he gets tot like he gets incredible superpowers like he, <laughs> he stops time he's super fast yeah he's super strong he never has to sleep but like you have to do all the work you have to clean all the toilets you have to do all the ice sculptures and you're bound to not harm them 
or you know yeah. so you have to figure out so it's like a genie thing where like you just resent them so much you you try to get the you you try to get revenge on them for inflicting on this so every new person goes in has a chance of being chosen or like when that person dies then so or like after a year it's a random person or supposed to be random but it's always like a political thing so like you know it's musical chairs who gets the hot seat uh at the end uh but or the other thing is um or it's like a magical superimposition. Yeah. So like the all the work is being done by the people in the company shitty Alaska town. Yeah, yeah. Like so it's a company town, nothing works right for very long. Yeah. You get all these orders from on high, you don't know where they're from. <laughs> you do all this work and then it just disappears in the night, and you're not sure. And then if you are the if you say the right word before you go through the tunnel, you end up where they get all of the fruits of the labor and everything's nice and wonderful and sunny and lovely all the time Uh, because the people who do the toil are literally, uh, (laughs) you know, libertarian dream, you know, exiled to another universe uh, (laughs) and you just, you know, feed off of them, you know. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I also think another thing could be a drama system game. It doesn't even have to have anything sci-fi or supernatural. It could just be like the Parks and Rec in that small town. Like, Oh, yeah. You're trapped in a goddamn building with everyone you know. Yeah. Uh, Welcome yeah. to hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, unless you're Leslie Nope and you're just like, yeah, you know. Super positive. Yeah, super yeah. positive. Uh, so that could be, or or you could have a variation on that where it's drama system, but there's like some reason why you have to stay there. Like there's some sort of duty. Maybe you're all like hired by the government to watch because you know there's some alien artifact that's or some like there's an alien like a giant monster in a cage uh, outside the town. You just have to like make sure the cage is working, you know, like <laughs> turn the dial on the vault once a year, you know, make sure that happens. Uh, something like that. That yeah. could be fun. So yeah, had a little bit of element of mystery. So like the, each episode would be like another, like a reporter comes in, keep him away from the vault, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, so, so that's, uh, so, you know, as an example, that just gives you guys an idea. There's many different ways you can use a space, whether it's something real, uh, something you've been to, or something that you just read up on, or you, you know. Uh, yeah, or- I think I think you made a good split though. You're either pulling it as a default, yeah, or you're using it for a thematic purpose. So yeah. like, default town is it going to be like there's rock faces and horrible waves on all sides, and you can only right. go through like it's like my default small town of Townsville yeah. is not going to be like that weird, right, and bizarre. But like if I want thematics of isolation or mm-hmm. magical tunnels or anything like that. Yeah. I would definitely use a place like that. Uh, well, I mean also one, one other use would be, uh, I, I feel like we have to mention like fantasy dungeons because those are, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing is one, if you're, if you're a game master, you're trying to come up with a game. It's very easy to take real life floor. And, that, and that's the third use, the choreography use. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where are the angles interesting? Yeah. The cartography. Where is um, the, where are they, uh, three-dimensional so yeah well like your open the, spaces the nursing like home, balconies are nice the yeah. nursing home would make a great like evil drow elf prison you know like yeah uh, it's got a panopticon in the yeah. middle of the nursing station exactly you yeah can, you have sight lines down every way but yeah yeah uh so that could be a good use of it because i mean the thing is 
I've I've looked at a lot of and it, actually in the after hours episode we're going to talk about uh, we're going to do soon I have a Judges Guild magazine from like the late seventies and like I showed you the map it's mm-hmm. literally like a fucking maze like you would have for a children on the back of a children's menu at you know jo- uh, 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 um, you know some fast food restaurant and it's just like there's five hundred monsters in this room there's fifty monsters in this room and that's like there's a lot of dungeons that I mean dungeon design in the decades since has improved, but there's still a lot of fantastical spaces that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, there are some fault, there are some sort of dangers or pitfalls, um, of using spaces. And I think one of the first one is designing a space that's hard to describe without breaking. Like ideally you want a space that can be described in a game without having to break out the maps and minis. I mean, make breaking out the, the maps and everything. uh, So everyone can set up their miniature and have grid combat is fine. But like it slows things down. You don't want that for every single goddamn time. You got to look at return on investment. Yeah, no, that's a good way. Huge amount of time that goes into that. Uh, and it's usually more than the time exerted in the battle. So yeah. that's why in Colossus Archipelago, I'm just like, when I'm you're imagining landforms, yeah. like, all right, imagine your arm. Yeah. It's a bone. <laughs> yeah. It's miles wide. And it's kind of, so you can imagine like hills and curves and yeah. the way the sea comes in in between the fingers and that kind of stuff. So like you can kind of see the landscape. Or yeah. with the nursing home thing, I was just thinking about... Um, you know, zombie apocalypse kind of stuff. And, and those nursing homes, due to the, having the central location of the nursing station, they're set up just like Trace Italians. They set up like Italian star forts. When you have these wings laid out, they usually have some form of higher security, especially if you have a lot of people with dementia patients, because you don't want anyone getting in to mess with them, and you also don't want them breaking out. So right. lock-wise and glass-wise, they're typically higher end. And then you've got these narrow, triangular kill zones in between where the building pierces out into the distance, many of which are fenced in, but also landscaped. So, like, you've got these, where if you're building up a fortress in a zombie apocalypse, it, it's ideal because you're always dividing and conquering anything that attacks you. It can't attack you head on because you've got these very narrow, right? Uh, you know, these very narrow, very easily fortified exterior entrances. And then getting into the interior of the hallways, you've just got gun ports on every side shoot right they just have to so, flatten the whole thing yeah i was just trying to think yeah. about what would be desirable to take back and like you'd want a building like that yeah uh, because they're point. often going to be placed on something that's scenic if you want to get more people because grandma right. wants to take a walk so now you're looking at high ground so now you've got a you know classical fort design uh with its own built-in battlements on a high ground with clear sight lines around it like right yeah you want that so uh, and it, it's a good space too, also for the game because it's a large area, and for the you you the it is like a dungeon that there are many rooms with different like functions in them. Mm-hmm. There's like a meat locker, which was useful. There there yeah. are large rooms. There's the nurses station, which uh, provides where the loot is, and of course that's at the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, so. You, because the the thing is, um, like we mentioned earlier, you don't want to get too simulationist. You don't want to get too bogged down in details, and you want to, you know, you you should realize you have the freedom, and you should feel free to just change whatever you need to to make the game better. You know, like the people in Payday weren't like bogged down with detail. They added little hideaways for the the the, hi- the characters to use, the player characters to use. So, like, if you feel like you're you're the building you're using, this the space you're using, whatever needs something different. Like, if you're doing the the Alaskan town, be like, no, we don't want. I don't want 
a dock. I don't want water nearby. It's just, you know, then put it in a fucking valley and then, yeah, yeah. Uh, just put it in between two mountains, you know, so nobody can uh, get to it. So uh, what it, make sure that the whole point of this is to make the game better, not to simulate this place, you know, which I feel a lot of game masters try to do. And and my advice would be that whether you're doing choreography or just default or something for thematics, yeah, um, it's, it's great if you can travel and visit like inherently interesting places. Oh yeah, uh, and that's nice. So for instance, I my friend plays, and uh, the friend who's in Admiral the Red, the band we used to open up, yeah, game, uh, designers, game workshop. designers workshop. Uh, he is playing with uh, Madison Ward and the Mama Bear right now, and they're on like a 44-city tour. And so I got to go to this venue in St. Louis that I've been to a dozen times, but I got a backstage pass for the first time, so I got to see like kind of how it's operated. And I said, I'll probably set a game there one because it's very interesting to be in like the Warrens and the green rooms and uh, you know all the places like yeah. that. So like that's nice, and if, if you know you're going to an interesting place, you can kind of LARP it in your head. But I'd also argue like look at places where you're bored because like. I didn't think about the nursing home angles until you're right. waiting yeah. in a nursing home for long hours. <laughs> uh, hospitals, schools have really interesting architecture. Yeah, uh, most of them are designed off prisons. Most of them are respect prison plans, uh, like which is telling. Um, you know that kind of stuff. So uh, you know there are many places where you are typically going out of your mind with boredom, uh, which. And that's one thing. That's why most of my stuff comes from memory. Because now, if I'm going out of my mind and bored, and I get on my phone, but in the past, it was just like if I did not have a book, yeah, you had to make do. And I guess that's why some of those spaces are more evocative and well remembered than stuff I go to now. So, like, if you find yourself someone in a common, if you find you play somewhere uh, commonly, a lot of medical buildings, a very interesting architecture. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you find yourself someplace commonly that is just agonizingly boring. Uh, you know, that's when you repurpose it to some end and you think like a choreographer and you quietly LARP in your head. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, like, you know, you and I are used to like, you know, the suburbs and being in Springfield and like going, me going to a major city, like, oh, wow, the architecture is very different. You know, like uh, visiting my brother's apartment building there, like uh, there's like a fire alarm. Uh, the first day I was there, it was like a false alarm, but because they were power washing the garage for the, the underground garage. Uh, and it, it's a very interesting space because I went down the wrong fire escape. I wound up in a place that was being refurbished. Like, the fuck am I? Um, so it's very easy to get lost in those kind of spaces. But, like, in urban areas, like, there's very dense uh, structure. Like, under, you know, apartment buildings, uh, storefronts, and underground garages all stacked up on each other. And, like, one thing I found interesting, the underground garage had, like, these storage spaces residents could check out, but they were just, like, a fenced-in area with a padlock. And so, like, whatever you store there is going to be covered, you know, just, like, get nice car exhaust every day. Yeah. You know, that, that would be nice. But, like, in a zombie attack, hey, like, that would be, that would be a, like... Holding cells. Yeah, holding cells. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, or, like, you, you lock yourself in there and hope the zombies don't notice you so you can wait for rescue, you know, like that that's a cage you know kind of like a shark cage and it's a, a zombie cage um, uh, yeah so, we're horrible rubes but yeah. anytime I go to a city like Chicago or something I'm always amazed at like the interconnectedness of it yeah and my ability to walk to everything I could ever need yeah which is like coming from where we're from just blows my mind like, yeah or use if a I need literally anything yeah literally anything yeah. I have to get into a car and it's not because I'm like lazy it's not because I don't have a bike if I bike there, I will probably get run over. Yeah. And it is miles and miles and miles away. Like, and that's just 
the rural outlook. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think it also helps to be yeah. Travel helps. It's nice to get outside your because you start noticing space. Yeah, the different ways it's used for uh, airports. I mean, those are crazy. Uh, oh yeah, like an airport would make it like they're very labyrinthian. They're very maze like. Uh, universities yeah. have yeah. usually a bizarre mix of ar- yeah. architecture. Well, it's because over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. so like. Uh, at Missouri State, yeah. you can go from this brutalist yeah. <laughs> concrete bomb shelter of a nightmare building <laughs> to this modernist building that is like ninety percent glass to like a nineteenth century. Yeah, yeah, to, like, to, yeah. So you're just neoclassical. Guy. Yeah, you're just bouncing around between these different architectural styles. Yeah, uh, and so think about what kind of game you want to run and what's important to it. Is it a game where? Uh, players need to where maneuvering is important whether it's combat or stealth or is it something about like interconnectedness like is it a political game where you like maybe a close up office or like the town is really important because yeah. everyone's right up on each in a, each, everyone's in every, uh, everyone else's business you know or uh, is it a game of you know dungeon crawling like whether it's zombies or you know orcs or whatever you know then you want a fortress like uh, or a prison like sort of environment uh, but that, that can help uh, determine how your players perceive the game and also like thematically you know like uh, a single unusual it's like the parrot thing they'll remember the weird thing that's fucked up in it you know yeah. like, um, what, so yeah I mean there, there's just start thinking about space and how you can turn it into a uh, holding cell for orcs or zombies <laughs> you yeah. know because uh, that's what it's all about uh, killing zombies in imaginary places <laughs> uh, so uh, any any final thoughts yeah. no yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty much it yeah all right uh yeah if you have any comments uh, feel free to post them uh we'll answer them but uh when we come back we'll have shout outs and anecdotes and all that fun. oh yeah and funicular uh that <laughs> was or the floof from deus ex that was really cool so uh, that was that was talking about that funicular uh it's on his notes he's got to read it i gotta read it it's there all right we'll We're back. I'm not sure what music I'm going to choose for this episode. It will probably either be synthwave or vaporwave. So uh, weird. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so uh, for shoutouts, uh, will you you uh, you you had a book you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's been out for a while now. I got the hardcover, uh, and I suggest it because it's very pretty. Yeah. Uh, but it's by Randall Monroe, the guy who does XKCD, mm-hmm. and it's called What If? Uh, serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions. Nice. Uh, so he just took questions from the internet and took them to their logical uh, scientific conclusion. <laughs> so like relativistic baseball, what would happen if you tried to hit a baseball pitch 90% of the speed of light? Wow. Uh, so he like figures it out. <laughs> so there's like... Um, Various, you know, uh, illustrations. There's a mushroom cloud. I see a picture of a mushroom cloud. Yeah, yeah. So T30 nanoseconds. Uh, There is plasma-sized air. 
breaking around the fireball. The pitcher disintegrates. There's an X-ray front in front of the mall, basically the plasma cloud <laughs> that was the baseball. Wow! Uh, as it tears the uh, tears the atmosphere apart. Nice. And uh, yeah, so it would it would cause a so uh, spent fuel pool. What if I took a swim in a typical spent fuel pool? Would I need to dive to experience the fatal amount of radiation? How long can I stay safely at the surface? Which is like surprising answer. And he does like, uh, you know, various research as to what you could do. And you could just easily just play pool in it without any safety. <laughs> if you dive, though, there's like a safe dose zone and then a dead in hour zone and a dead in minute zone. Yeah. The closer you get closer to the fuel, but the water protects it well enough that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So there's like, you know, I think my favorite is the periodic wall of elements. What would happen if you made a periodic table out of cube-shaped bricks where each brick was made of the corresponding element? Wow. <laughs> and, and things get increasingly worse Yeah. the further you go down. And it, they just have the same guy in each of them. Because uh, he, he starts going like, okay, all these cubes, you're stacking them on top of each other. These elements are going to react to each other. So, yeah. like, they burn and explode <laughs> and melt. And, you know... I think by the time you get to the fourth row, the the guy's dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so nice. It gets uh, it's it's a very funny book. I like it. Uh, and it's it's very informative too. Uh, cool. Uh, speaking of informative things, um, and also our show topic, uh, spaces. Uh, I my family uh, just to give you a background on this book that I read uh, has no idea what to get me for like. Christmas, anything. <laughs> they have literally picked up things off the side of the road on more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah. And those are some of their better gifts. Um, <laughs> yes. So they got me a book uh, called, and I decided I'm trying to read the books that are on my bookshelf. So, like, I'm just clearing the shelf. So, I've, and it was this one was actually pretty interesting. It's called Sea Monsters in Medieval and Renaissance Maps. And so it's a very focused book about like the depiction of sea monsters in uh medieval and renaissance era maps and like why they were drawn who drew them uh what were these maps used for uh and that kind of thing and what you know which particular maps that are surviving because you know they don't have that many maps left yeah uh, from that era and it's actually kind of interesting because the it talks about how these maps that had sea monsters on them were really kind of a luxury item. They weren't like practical navigation charts that a sea captain would have. They were like what rich people would put on their wall to show how rich they were. So, you know, some things never change. You yeah. Know, rich people being assholes with <laughs> conspicuous consumption. Um but they actually had a contract that they quote, like, you need to have at least 100 sea monsters in this map. Uh, and one of my other favorite things was talking about how, like, in one particular map, they were it was uh, made by a Scandinavian uh, cartographer. And he made it and gave it out to or uh, sold it to people from outside his air, uh, country, like depicting his native waters of the Scandinavia being filled with monsters in a hope to... Uh, scare off other fishermen from like fishing in his waters like no you can't fish in near scandinavia there's fucking sea monsters they'll eat you you know uh so 
I find that um, they and there's like some terms that can the be, Scooby-Doo yeah uh, method of <laughs> yeah cartography of <laughs> land enforcement. <laughs> uh, so I liked it. Uh, I also talked about two things. Step one: stake claim. Yeah. Step two: invent absurd monster to <laughs> haunt claim. <laughs> uh, the yeah, and um, they also talk about like the map of Monday. Uh, Monday, uh, which is like a map of the world, but it's not meant to be a literal thing. It's just like, again, something you put on a wall to show off like, oh, here's what the universe looks like. There's us in the center and there's the sun, you know, and there, here's the map of the world and there's the monsters over there and there's these. Be- so, um, I don't know. It, it's kind of the, like talking about the, the importance of maps in the era. And so like this could be used in a Cthulhu game or some other historical or like as a, you know, a handout for a game like, Oh, there's uh there, there shouldn't be a monster in this part of, or this kind of, well, you know, uh, this doesn't look like any other kind of sea monster uh, in this era. So what, what does this really mean? So like, it's a reference to a cult or something like that. <laughs> um, so that was something interesting. Uh, I thought, uh, and speaking of supernatural bad things, uh, you had a graphic novel, uh, uh, yes, it's called Witches, W-Y-T-C-H-E-S. Um, uh, I read in Entertainment Weekly that it got optioned, and I've been reading a lot of the Scott Snyder run on Batman. Oh, yeah? Because um, I have a friend that's let me borrow the trades. Uh, so Court of Owls and Death of the Family. Oh, yeah, really yeah, yeah. good, Really good Batman stories. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't... I wasn't crazy about American Vampire. I thought it was pretty good, but uh, it's him. He's working with Jock again, and it's. I don't know if it's going to be an ongoing series, but it's standalone. But um, it is very good, uh, like rural supernatural horror, uh, and it, it it just reminds me of a very excellent horror game, um, and you know a very unique take on the kind of material. Uh, the art is a little. They do a splatter effect. So they do a Technicolor splatter effect across every page, going across individual panels. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't like cover up the art, but it always discolors the art slightly where the splatter hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it, the art, the pages look kind of odd. Um, I didn't like it at first, but now I'm kind of into it. Uh, but the art is very creepy, and it's a it's a creepy and very gameable concept. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Cool, cool. Um, and speaking of things that are vaguely creepy, um, Vaporwave. Uh, I've been uh, listening to a lot of that lately, uh, and I'll be linking to several things in there. Uh, first off is a mini-documentary about what is Vaporwave. It's about 22 minutes long. It's on YouTube. And it sort of explains what the, where the genre comes from and who, who's in it and what it, what it really means. Uh, and as a counterpoint, uh, there is a shorter video called How to Make Vaporwave, which kind of takes the air out of it. It's like... Uh, <laughs> Because it, it is, we you watch a documentary like, oh my god, this is super pretentious, and like, <laughs> uh, and again, for me, the the interest in vaporwave, certain types of vaporwave, it's basically elevator music from Carcosa, uh, which is my interest in it, uh, because, yeah. um, and then there is the dream catalog, dream catalog, which is a sort of a, um, they collect, they they release a lot of vaporwave albums, um, and they have a free archive where you can download a bunch of different albums. I recommend. Uh, one from 2814 uh, and the rest of it is in Japanese so I can't read it so uh, they, and most vaporwave DJs pretentious are not, you say yeah yeah, no, <laughs> it is no uh, yeah but when I, I'm writing Ruin uh, late at night listening to vaporwave it kind of helps like it, it there's very sort of a dissonant I know like, that in 
and come trues. Like if you yeah. want to yeah. get into a trance state, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just wake up four hours later. Yeah. It's great for that. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so uh, if you want to understand, it's like the electronic version of Tibetan throat singing. It just, is. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's just. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Constantly yeah. looped. Yeah, no, it 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 is pretty uh, out there. But it, I mean, it that that sort of dissonant sort of taking the 80s and 90s aesthetic and sort of making it more sterile and creepier, which is impressive that they made it creepier than it was already, because uh, that stuff is pretty soulless and deadening already. Um, it, it is again for me great for ruin because like. Um, well, we can talk about this in the Game Designers Workshop. I've decided that the first Ruin game will just be focused on, like, I'm going to make, I, my plans are to make multiple games set in Ruin, and each ru- game will be a standalone RPG, but set in a particular building or environment. And so the first one's going to be in the hotel. It's going to be based on the Night Clerk one-shot. Yeah. Uh, so it's like you're in a in a typical generic low-level hotel with very, you know, sterile sort of boring kind of art and environment you're trapped in this hell of fluorescent lights and you know slightly uh grungy rooms and bad elevator music so you know that's your hell uh <laughs> see if you could and this is the soundtrack for that exactly this is, this is really it's all it all feeds into it uh, are you tired of the concept of music yeah <laughs> Try vaporwave. Yeah, yeah, no. It's like you're in the future, but it's a dystopian, and you're alone, and you're you have VHS tapes, and you're but you have lots of weed, and you're in Japan, and you're in the sky. Yeah, um, that's from How to Make Vaporwave. You should you should definitely watch that. Um, so uh, finally, uh, two other things. One is a film on Netflix called Journey to the West. Uh, it's directed by Stephen Chow from you know Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle. He's not in it. Uh, he just directed it. But it's still a very interesting take on the Journey to the West legend from Chinese you know mythology. Uh, and it alternates between being hilarious, horrifying, and <laughs> melodramatic. So uh, there are some fucking really terrifying like uh, in the end, like oh my god, it, <laughs> it gets very creepy. But then it gets funny, and then it gets creepy because Chinese films they like. Tone as your fucking, we'll just do whatever. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, am I wrong? No. Well, they like variety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they, they want to get the most out of their money. <laughs> that, that's a good point. They so they you wa- have four or five movies crammed into one. Yeah, no, you do. Uh, uh, and then finally, a review of a game I got from Kickstarter, Cthulhu's Vault, uh, which is a cooperative. I, I say then quote a st- storytelling game with cards. Uh, and the the way it starts out is uh, for each player gets a hand of seven cards. Each card has an element, like a character, a place, or a theme, or a mood, or an item. And you take turns telling a story. Like uh, it, the story starts at dawn. That's a mood. That's a theme. So it starts at dawn. And then there is an artist who uh, she is just finished painting a sculpture of a monster you know and then um basically every card you play you get tokens and the first and each player also has a uh an ancient one like uh randomly chosen and the player first player to get like a certain number of cult tokens uh that ancient one awakens and then you move to the battle stage to see whether the investigators save the world or it's doomed from that ancient one waking up uh based on your story and uh, it's an interesting game design. The The problem is 
maybe our cards weren't shuffled very well. We, we like the game assumes you're going to pop. Someone's going to get the awakened one, like uh, very early on. But we ran out of cards before we did that, so that's the other way you can trigger the battle stage. Um, the thing is, the way the the way the main storytelling card mechanic works is you get two tokens for placing a card uh and then you can get more tokens you get some other benefit if you play a certain type of card based on the previous card like if you play a mood uh like the dawn card it it says the you get a bonus if you play uh, a place card next or a character card next and the thing is for our hands we we basically the way it was played out, we almost never got that. Like we didn't get, have the right cards to yeah. play the bonuses at that time, so we were just getting two tokens at a time, and we just ran out of cards before like any of us could get rack up the amount of uh, tokens we needed. Um, and the the thing is about the invest the battle stage is that the like it plays a little like Arkham Horror that the Ancient One has his own battle deck and the the characters have their own battle deck, but the Ancient One could just one shot investigators pretty quickly and so like with three players it's you know one player playing the ancient one the other two players playing the investigators like oh i eat you i eat you (laughs) all right good game guys (laughs) like it was a very well he didn't one shot bill i got one shot in the first round like i i I went and then got eaten uh and then bill uh which is your typical cthulhu story well yeah no it's true so in that sense uh, it was very true to the source material, but as a game, I would maybe take out or lower those one-shot investigators things. I think maybe uh, the manual needs some definitely like rewriting. Like it was some of the shit was very like, what the fuck do they mean? And I noticed a couple typos in it. Um, and I think maybe it was playtested for six players. I don't know. It didn't seem like for three players it was very well balanced, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it has great art, uh, and it's an interesting game concept. Certainly, it, it's a unique kind of game, cooperatively, you know, it's storytelling through cards. Yeah. As, like, a kind of an exquisite corpse kind of thing. Um, but it needs work, you know, maybe some playtesting or balancing or different revised rules or something. I don't know. If you, uh, I, I only paid, like, 20 or 30 bucks for it, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so we're trying again, but, yeah. Anyway. I think that's it for shout-outs. Yeah. Um, so finally, we have uh, our anecdotes. Uh, so we've been playing Red Markets. And, uh, in fact, our last adventure was based in a the nursing home, which we got through. So, so I had one of those beautiful GM moments where uh, the character forgets what's on their own character sheet. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> uh, they were trying to get into this uh, nursing home that had a special uh zombie in it an aberrant i won't ruin it what it is uh but they ha- were going to go sneak up on it through the sewers and-, and move that way whereas ross's character was going to uh go on the outside of the and lure it in yeah um so <laughs> ross drove there separately while everyone else was sneaking single file up through the sewers and ross's tough spot which is kind of like um it's a fate point for you and me. Yeah. Uh, characters can use it for positives, but uh, markets can yeah, use it an to, yeah, to fate, yeah. tank it around. Um, uh, <laughs> one of Ross was zombie barricade expert. So I, he was using it for lots of positives, but I didn't figure out how to do it for negatives. Uh, so they were doing a job for ivory planes, which talking about spaces, yeah. uh, the mega churches uh, down in this part of the country yeah. uh, occasionally will have 
uh, gated communities near the church for the uh, exceptionally faithful, read <laughs> wealthy, um, sort of like the city on the hill, but yeah. closed off with barbed wire and you're not allowed in. Um, so I, I made that an enclave because it would be the sort of place that already has like built in guard towers and, yeah. uh, you know, fences and wrought iron spikes on the end, uh, for defenses. Um, so they were working for them and they go and everyone was, a uh, kind of sidling up to Ross's character a lot. Yeah. So he got out of there. But uh, as the job was starting, uh, they sent out uh, a, a group of people to bear witness to Ross, i.e. kidnap his ass <laughs> by himself. So while the team was trying to deal with things by themselves and waiting for Ross to respond, he was in a horrible gunfight by himself. They tried to dart me. They, <laughs> they did try and dart you. Yeah. Uh, and then ended up in a high-speed chase with a creature. And yeah. it was very good. We didn't know that there was more than one of But them. I got to see <laughs> Ross's, Ross's, the light die in Ross's eyes <laughs> as I came Compelled his uh, tough spot. You actually and, had used it again before me, but that was like, oh, can you fix up our walls for our? our yeah, yeah. Guys? I used it to like yeah. hit your money. I didn't yeah. use it to try and get you kidnapped. Yeah, that was that was new. Uh, yeah, I didn't appreciate. And it. And I waited. I waited for the prime <laughs> opportunity to strike. And it worked out. Uh, that was, yeah, it was so great moments in GMing. Yes. Uh, uh, remembering that thing on the character sheet that, uh, <laughs> that the player has neglected. Um, also, some special ones. Uh, I recently uh, ran another online game for Patreon backers. This was another Call of Cthulhu game. I like Call of Cthulhu for online games because it's easy for people to make characters. It's easy to run because it roll your skill. You know, you could probably just stop at I like Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, well, they pretty much get it by well, now. All right, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I like trail too. Uh, I go both ways. Uh, so, oh, naughty! <laughs> um, but the whole, actually, the the scenario was born out from our last episode where we talked about uh, game designing scenarios for you know based on what you want the players to be doing. And so this was a manhunt. Like there are bounty hunters, private bounty hunters looking for fugitives that've been on the run for like several years. And it was a mar- married couple that were recently uh Intel put them in Kansas City. And So they were private bounty hunters? Yeah, they were private bounty so, hunters. So like yeah. woefully undertrained and yes. criminally negligent. Oh, but like just okay. like BCs. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. No, this is how it happened. Like <laughs> the, I let the players come with the backstories and one's like, "I'm a retired cop. I'm a Christian strongman who needs <laughs> needs money and the guy who made him put couldn't show up so another player played him uh who was from overseas so he tried to do a like we had a uh shall we say a more british person trying to do a kentucky accent which was amazing thank you scribbly kids um and the um so yeah, they they what, what and you speak about undertrained, true, because <laughs> basically um their best lead was that the the Kansas City police uh, recorded a call between one of the fugitives and a police informant. And the the fugitive was asking to where he could buy guns. The thing is that's all they had. They didn't know who the informant was. They couldn't interview him. That was the scenario it was like get, how do we get access to this informant and find out where the fuck this deal's going down or anything like that. And uh originally I thought that they would call up the detective who had was in charge of the informant be like can we interview him and the detective said uh well we need more leverage over him can you plant drugs on him so i can keep him as an informant because he wants to get out that would have been the that was what i envisioned yeah no (laughs) no no they decide to contact another detective 
uh, to get access to the informant. And, the, and they realized that the easiest way to do that, uh, well, not the easiest way, but the one of the ways that, well, if you give the detective something that they want, they'll give you what you want. You know, horse trading. So like, oh, we'll bust a lab, a drug lab, or we'll give them the lead on the drug lab. So they take down two lookouts for the drug lab, and then they tell the detective so they can bust the meth lab. Dude, this is inc- incredibly circuitous, you know, like, they, oh, yeah. fa- they found the dr- they found the weapon dealer first, actually, the gun dealer, but like, the, the, he was like a white supremacist who I called the Aryanid because he likes spiders, too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But like, they didn't have any leverage over the area, so he wasn't going to give the give up. You know, someone um, to a bunch of private bounty hunters saying, "Like, yeah, fuck off." So they went into this whole this whole route, um, and. It got to the point where, like, well, wait, okay, so we have, we we finally got the leverage, we finally got the access, the information. Why don't we use the gun deal? Go back to the gun dealer and tell him about the informant uh so we can use him against the uh, fugitives like you know that's conspiracy to commit murder <laughs> if you get this guy killed and you are bound by the law and you don't have badges so maybe you should focus on that ross every yeah. pc knows yeah that the quickest route between two lines two points is to draw a squirrely <laughs> looping line in the opposite direction until the GM moves the point to you. They were basically playing That's like the fucking, quickest way to get from they, point A to B. Yeah, I guess they thought they were playing Game of Thrones with fucking meth head tweakers yeah, and yeah, white exactly. supremacists. Yeah. Um, Just make the GM tired until he throws B at you. <laughs> so the thing is that players were on a clock because the fugitives were going to uh, break into the National Archives, which were an underground. Uh, the, there's actually a real place called Subtro- Subtropolis near Kansas, uh, in Kansas, that is basically underground mines have been turned into storage space. And so, like that, they basically call, "Oh, we spotted them. They they shot a guard." And you know, like, well, you didn't figure it out before they did it, so they did the thing. Mm-hmm. And so they had the big shootout in National Archives. Three, two of the players got killed. One player went mad, uh, jumped through a portal into time and space. But the other player survived, <laughs> so he got all the money. Uh, so game successful because basically the sniper rolled really well. That was you know guarding. Them, uh, guarding the bad guys, like there were four fugitives now. Um, basically, I made the the bad the fugitives basically player characters. That's how they act. They murder hoboed everything, <laughs> and so the players, uh, yeah. So it was a good investigation. There was a lot. I'm leaving out a lot of stuff, but um, I just like that idea that the players basically went way more needlessly complicated plans than they actually had to do. Then you're running for the right group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and We are your people. Yeah, exactly. And there, w- there was one final thing. Uh, Anne uh, from our Masks and Nyarlathotep group actually ran a game in Fate um, where we are Greek heroes uh, asked by Hephaestus, the god of the smiths, to find a diadem, a crown that he was making for his wife. Uh, Aphrodite, but uh, she, it went missing, so we had to go find it. So basically, the gods were very approachable in this one. We could just pray to them, they'd show up and tell us, like, <laughs> stuff. Like, and most of it is like, can we, can you help us with the end? Oh, if you go kill this lion that's bothering these people, we'll do the, Is it like impervious? No, it's just a lion. Okay. Uh, well, instead of fighting him, we had to build a pit trap and a fake female lion uh, and fill the pit with tar. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I didn't want to fight. Like, okay, so I was Odysseus. I had a bow. I was pretty good in a fight. That's fine. But 
Aaron, of course, chose Daedalus, the inventor guy, you know, um, technician, you know. Uh, but then Sean chose uh, Herodotus, you know, the, the father of history, uh, who loves writing about giant ants. Um, that's pretty much all I know about Herodotus. <laughs> and then Bill chose Tiresias, uh, the, the blind soothsayer. So, like, we're not going to fucking hunt a lion, you know. I'm not going to go kill a lion. But those- well, if you're Odysseus, you yeah. should have been like... Uh, what weapon can I use to kill the lion? Yeah. Uh, pick any you wish. I choose old age. There, I did it. Now give me my thing. <laughs> That's Odysseus. Well, we didn't get. Athenius didn't give us any weapons. We just she just told us to go get get a lion. I know, but he would have tricked his way out. Yeah. Uh, well, I tricked the lion. Like we <laughs> built a fake female lion over a pit trap. You know. So did that- you all hide in it? Uh, no, <laughs> that would have been awkward. Could have uh, been like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective uh, 2, just yeah, trying to yeah. fit in there. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but we also got even more needlessly complicated, because at one point in the scenario, we had to get Zeus to wear a magical belt, a golden belt. And instead of just saying, Zeus, do you want to wear this awesome golden belt? It's totally awesome. Uh, we like, no, there will be a wrestling tournament, and Zeus will win the belt. Uh, but we, of course, we it has to be a tournament, so we have to like uh, we'll get uh, Apo- let's see who is it? Um, I forgot the name of the the uh, she challenges people to a race, and when she wins, she kills them. Uh, I don't know; it doesn't matter because yeah. this is an insane plan. Yeah, we we had her. Uh, she would. So you recreated the WWE? Yes, but I disguised <laughs> myself as Heracles, uh, so I lost to her first, so <laughs> she would be built up. Okay. So then she fought Zeus for the title belt. Uh, but yeah, nice. Uh, and Daedalus, of course, built a trick uh, 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 fighting arena. You know uh, that we could use to throw the fight even more in Zeus's favor because uh, <laughs> Zeus needs. <laughs> Yeah, that like Zeus needs some juice to get on top. <laughs> well, it's not like he's the king of the gods. Yeah, yeah or exactly. Like Slayer of Titans, <laughs> kind of a pussy, really. Yeah, he really. Oh, uh, you know, really a drama queen. Just likes to fluff his ego. Again, needlessly complicated. <laughs> We had to overthink everything. That uh, fancy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a fun game. And Anne was, like, super well-prepared. We had, like, character sheets with, like, our little... I'm sad I've never played it in Anne game. Yeah, the no. Agatha Christie game sounded amazing. But that was Melissa. Uh, oh, that was Melissa. Yeah, okay. so you'll, you'll get your chance at that. Because right. Melissa uh, will be sticking around. So, anyways, uh, that's something to look forward to on the one-shots uh, on the AP. Uh, but that ends uh, the episode. RPPR episode 116, LARPing Quietly in Your Head. I'm Russ Payton. I'm Caleb, and I'm here more than half the time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys. I'm time. here frequently. Vaporwave. <laughs> uh, <laughs>